My name is Craig Case. I'm an associate pastor here, and I uh, just want to give an update about uh, Chad Erlenborn, our lead pastor. He's in Africa with our, the chair of our leadership team, Bill Hayes. And in fact, uh, Chad preached this morning in Kenya while we were sleeping, probably most of us sleeping. Uh, he was preaching this morning. I think he had a couple hours of sleep uh, before he preached. Uh, and then they're going to spend some time in Kenya, and then they make their way to Congo on Thursday, and then they're going to spend some time in Congo. And then from there, they'll uh, fly down to Mozambique and spend uh, time there and then return on the 24th. And uh, Chad and Bill are there, uh, as we've been talking about, for our Do Something campaign, uh, this movement we believe God is about in terms of ending extreme poverty. And uh, Chad and Bill are going to be looking at villages and meeting with different leaders, uh, spending time uh, with our denominational missions, uh, the covenant with Kurt Peterson. And asking questions and spending time. And it's a very, very important trip. And I just want to encourage you and remind you to uh, be praying for them over these next couple of weeks. And uh, we'll try to have updates on our website, too. And if you're not on Twitter, I know most of you are. Uh, if you're not on Twitter, uh, you can follow. Actually, Chad will have some updates on there. Chad Erlenborn. And you can follow his updates uh, on our trip to Africa, and we'll try to have some of that information as well on our website. So what I want to do right now is simply be praying for uh, Chad and Bill uh, during our service here, and I'll pray for this morning's sermon too. Let me pray. God in heaven, uh, we think of Chad and Bill as they're away. And uh, uh, first of all, we pray for their families. Uh, we pray for Nancy, and we pray for Christine and the kids uh, as, as the guys are away, that you protect them and watch over them and give them peace over these next couple of weeks. Uh, this is a big sacrifice. And we pray for Chad and Bill as they're in Africa, as they're spending time right now with uh, leaders and, and, and people uh, in Kenya. Uh, we pray for your blessing upon those conversations, and we pray that you'd give them wisdom and discernment as they ask questions uh, there in, in Congo and Mozambique. Uh, your desire uh, for us, what you want us to do with do something. God, I ask for your blessing upon this sermon, and I pray for... Uh, your voice to speak loud and clear, uh, that I would just surrender myself to you and allow you to teach um, the people that are gathered here this morning. And uh, as I preach, God, uh, that your scriptures would just ring clear. And that for each of us, that we would take another step in growing in our faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've just begun this uh, new series called Stronger. Uh, Chad led it off last week and talked about having a strong faith. And, and as, I, as I begin, I just want to begin with the outset um, of saying that when it comes to our faith is that uh, God's, God's default position, God's default posture in our lives is that, is that he wants to make us stronger. And as a church, we, we want to help you become stronger. Um, it's not about big numbers and, and having a big church, but it's really about helping you become a better and stronger follower, follower of Jesus Christ. And also to realize that God desires for you to grow stronger in your faith. And this is the time of year that we, we think about resolutions and we make commitments. I think half the adult population, Chad mentioned last week, make resolutions around this time. They usually end around the 15th of January. Uh, but it's where we resolve to get stronger bodies, stronger minds, and we, we dive into physical fitness or education, and we make goals towards that. And, and in there, I want to encourage you to make goals for a stronger faith and to know that God wants you to have a stronger faith. 
And we're going to be looking at ways that God makes our, our faith stronger all these uh, upcoming weeks. This morning we're going to talk about the scriptures. And then uh, next week we're going to look at a different topic. And looking at ways that what God uses to make our faith stronger is very important for us. And it's understand that God wants us to grow in our faith. And, and for me, that's very important because it's not like I have to borrow. It's not like I have to bargain. It's not like I have to sort of make a vow or a commitment to get God to move towards me. He's, he's already in my life wanting me to grow because I believe something. I guess it's true of a lot of life is that I don't, I don't think you stay neutral in your faith. I don't. I think you're declining, you're, 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 you're drifting, or you're getting stronger. And this series is all about getting stronger. So this morning, I want to begin at looking at one of the ways, the, probably the primary way that God makes our faith stronger, and that's through the Scriptures. If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pew in front of you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is going to be a, kind of our core passage this morning. As we look at God makes our faith stronger through the Scriptures, And then we're going to ask the question, why is it, or how how does God do that? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And Paul writes this to the Apostle Paul. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it and and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You kind of see how the Scriptures have been passed down among these new Christians, it's a beautiful, beautiful thought here, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. For what purpose? For what purpose is that? And Paul answers it, verse 17, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's important for us to, to see that. It says here that the scriptures are useful for teaching. They're useful. They help us become stronger in our faith. They're useful in doing that. I, I have a friend who actually believes that the Bible isn't useful at all. He would actually say that the Bible is outdated. It's not relevant for modern times. But one of the central claims that we see here from Paul is that they're useful for teaching. There's timeless principles. And for us to realize that when it comes to God making our faith stronger, one of the ways he does that is through the scriptures because they're useful teaching. It makes a difference. It makes us stronger in our faith and life. It's useful teaching. Why? Why is it useful? Is it because some really, really smart people wrote it? Is it useful because, and it'll make us stronger because it contains some really fascinating stories and ancient writings? No. The scriptures are useful teaching. It will make you stronger in faith and life because it hinges on this point. We see here in verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired. In the actual Greek here, is it's, it's God-exhaled. It's breathing out. That's why the scriptures help us. That's why... The scriptures are useful teaching because it's God-breathed. It's his words. And and Paul is not saying this. We need to understand this here in verse 16. He's not saying this um, because he had his hands on the original Hebrew manuscripts of the Old Testament because the scriptures that he's referring to, he's referring to the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written at that point. 
And he's not saying this because he had in his hands the original Hebrew manuscripts. In fact, scholars believe that he actually had the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. That's what he had in his hands. And he's saying this scripture, this translation, is God-breathed. It's useful teaching. It'll make my faith stronger. It'll make your faith stronger because it's God's word. It's breathed out. And, and Paul, this, the writer here, and Jesus, and other important Jewish figures in the New Testament that we, that we see, they came from a line of people that were known as people of the book. These are people who cherished and, and hung tightly on to the scriptures, that the book that they had was very important to their lives, is, was vital for them. It was something that was actually foundational to their lives. They knew God's word. They were called people of the book. And they actually believed. I know this is crazy. This is really crazy. They actually believed that the scriptures were God's actual words. I know that's incredible. But they actually believed that. Can you imagine something like that? They actually believed that this book were God's actual words. His voice. To the point that in the day of Jesus, that they would actually wear it in their clothing. This is called a talit. This would have been something that Paul and Jesus and other Jewish people of the day would have wore around their shoulders like this. And on this, this prayer shawl, on their clothing, this is something that they would have wore on a regular basis, is that they had tassels. And these tassels represented God's word. There's five knots on these tassels. In the Hebrew language, it's uh, tzitzit or if you want to say in English, T-zit-zit. But there's uh, five little knots on here, and these five knots stood for the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that through the day, they would literally have their hands, their fingers on God's Word. In fact, you, you see Jewish people today that still have these tassels, perhaps on a belt, in their belt loop. But, um, and then there's eight strings here. 8 plus 5 equals, try it again, 8 plus 5 equals 13. Very good. Now, the Hebrew word for the tassel, tzitzit, and 13, and, and Hebrew letters have numerical value to them. So when you add up tzitzit with 13 equals 613. How many commands the Old Testament? 613. And they would have their hands on them. It's a very tactile people. And in fact, on a, on a prayer shawl, There'd be verses on the top here to remind them of God's word, to remind them that they were people of the book. And that's important for us to understand that because Paul and Jesus, as they teach and as they write, is that they're coming from a, a people that would hang on to, clutch on to God's words because they believed it was his, his voice. They cherished it. It's God speaking to them, not just in history past, not simply in, in um, the exodus from Egypt, but that God was speaking in their lives. And they would take time. They cherished it so much they'd have it on their clothes. God's voice spoke to them at formational times. God's voice mattered to them because this book, the scriptures, contain God's voice. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Or is it, is it a reference guide? My prayer and hope for you is, is that you would actually believe that 
This is God's voice. It's one of the primary ways that God speaks to, to you and I, that the scriptures contain God's voice. Well, I want to tell a story about a cherished person in our family, our Springer Spaniel named Macy. And I think we have a picture. There she is. And uh, that's our Springer Spaniel. She turned six, I think, uh, this past fall. And my daughter likes to remind me that if you count uh, dog years, Macy and I are the same age. Pretty cool. We might be the only family that actually has a birthday party for their dog on their, their date of birth. Presents and birthday cake and stuff like that. But anyways, Macy's an important part of our life. And I remember a few years ago, I was gone for a missions trip. I was actually gone for a couple weeks. And uh, I came home in the middle of the day, and there was nobody home except for Macy. Uh, I wanted to try something. I wanted to see what Macy would do, because Macy and I are really tight. And I'm the one who kind of uh, trained her and, 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 and spent a lot of time with her as a puppy, potty training her, training her how to, to, to kind of run off without a leash but come back. And, and I was kind of the primary voice in her, in her uh, for, formative years, you could say, and, and when I came home, I wanted to see what Macy would do. So I kind of snuck in, and, and I kind of hear that she was sleeping because Macy sometimes snores. Maybe your dog does that too. Um, but I, I could hear that Macy was kind of sleeping in the living room, so I kind of snuck in into the closet and kind of closed it because I wanted to see what Macy would do. And I just kind of yelled out, okay, I'm a 40-something-year-old you know, 40 guy, uh, Macy! I just kind of yelled out, Macy! And she kept sleeping which gives me great confidence if we ever have robbers that come to our house. This great watchdog, Springer Spaniel Macy. Anyways, but I yelled out again, Macy, Macy, and all of a sudden I heard this thud. She hits our wood floor and she comes scrambling across and I can hear, hear her coming down the stairs and I kind of slowly close the closet door and she's kind of whining and sniffing around and finally she detects that I'm in the closet. And she comes up to the closet, starts scratching it, she starts whining, and, and she sticks like half her, her nose and her whiskers underneath the door, and she's smelling, and she's whining, and she's scratching. And I open the door, and she just jumps on top of me and licks me. Just so, so happy to see me. How come my kids and my wife are not like that <laughs> when I come home from a long trip? It's like, and my kids came home later that afternoon, hey, Dad, what's up? And they go over to the kitchen and, and grab some Doritos or something. But the closet, to Macy, the closet contained my voice, the master's voice. And I know the analogy isn't the best, but, but when it comes to the scriptures, do we actually believe that th this book contains God's voice? Because that is the one of the central claims of these writers. These are God's words. These are God's voice. And God's voice will make you stronger in your faith. It has an effect on us. It has a big effect on our lives. And as a pastor, I have the privilege to uh, really interface with people at very important times, defining moments of their lives. And whenever I do, most of the time, I have the, my Bible in my hand. In fact, I was just standing here yesterday afternoon doing a wedding for Carl and Cassie. Um, these two distinct lives coming together as one and officiating their wedding. And with tears in their eyes, and as they exchanged these vows, and I read from the scriptures, I could tell as I was reading from them, it made a difference in their lives. It was God's voice speaking into them in their new life together. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's God's voice? This past Tuesday, I went down to a hospital in Minneapolis and spent time with a, a woman who was suffering from cancer. And we had a, a great conversation. And, 
And I kind of close out our time by, by reading from uh, Psalm 121 and Psalm 119 and reading passages from those two psalms. And, and as I read, it, it was very noticeable, very palpable, the difference that God's word made in their life. As I read these, these verses that, that she sensed God's voice, you believe the same thing. This book, the scriptures, contains God's voice who speaks to us in times of celebration, in times of illnesses, in times of temptation. Uh, a mentor in my life, a, a pastor who was speaking on the West Coast, and he was traveling alone on this trip. And uh, the evening after one of his speaking engagements, he went back to his hotel, and it was actually late that night, and he needed ice. And so he went in the elevator to, to go get some ice, and, and on the elevator was this attractive young woman. And they had a conversation, and, and she invited him uh, to come to her room and to spend some time with her and a couple of her girlfriends. They're having a small party. And then he told me this, and I'll never forget it, that as she looked at him and as she invited him, it was like this sort of transparent window shade pulled down with a couple of verses. He said, God was speaking to me. So God speaks to us through the scriptures. He makes our faith stronger through the scriptures. In times of celebration, in times of illnesses, in times of temptation, in times of challenge. And you might be at that point this morning that you've looked in a variety of ways. You've looked in a lot of different places. You've listened to other voices. Maybe a voice of a friend, maybe a, a voice uh, of a trusted mentor, or maybe the, your own voice. But there's something missing. And maybe that's, that's something that's missing is God's voice. And perhaps as you start out this year, this new year, 2012, knowing that God wants to make your faith stronger, is to open up this book and just to listen to God's voice. You know, sometimes people refer to the Bible as a user's manual. They call it a user's manual because it, it, it kind of solves problems. And I, I, I don't like that. Because for a user's manual, if I compare it to my car, if I have some, some problem with the engine and I can't figure it out, I go to my user's manual, open it up, and, and go to page 46, and there I have the answer to solve the, the problem with my engine. Now, the Bible certainly can, does speak into our, to our problems. But I don't believe it's a user's manual. I believe it's a story. And that we're a part of the story. Things that happened in the past as we read in the Bible, but also that we're a part of the story and God speaks to us as we're a part of the story. He reminds us of who we are. And perhaps you're asking that question this morning as, as I'm preaching here. Maybe you're asking that question, who am I? one of the most important questions. And as you seek to make your faith stronger, as you seek to better your life, it might be a question you're asking along the way, who am I? It's one of the most repeated questions of all of Western civilization, who am I? And there's so many voices in our world. There's so many voices in this world that try to answer that for us. And as you're working through challenges or problems or illnesses or celebrations or what have you, perhaps you're asking that question in the midst of all this, who am I? And there's voices in our world that want to tell you that, you, that, that who you are is based on accomplishment or based on physical attraction or based on intellect or based 
on education, how many degrees you have on your wall, or it's based on your, your, your balance and your checkbook. That the voice of God in the scriptures makes the imperative statement that we are loved, that we're accepted, that we're cherished by God who created us. That's one of the baselines of this story of the Bible. We're loved, we're cherished, we're accepted by God who created us. He created you and saved you by grace in Jesus Christ. And that should be enough. Should be enough. God created us. I recently taught a class over at uh, Bethel University and one of the students in this class, the, our final class was uh, where the students gave presentations. And uh, this one student in her presentation, I'll never forget it, talked about her life story and summarized it as a story of endless searching, listening to other voices on who she was. And these other voices tried to define her self-worth and her self-identity through guys she slept with, through a sus- successful career, through her father's acceptance, yeah, in this class, and it wasn't a class on the Bible, but I brought some, some Bible verses in this class. In this class, she began to hear, perhaps for the first time, the voice of God speaking into her life. And with tears rolling down her cheeks and with incredible transparency, she decided to begin to read the Bible so that she could better hear God's voice. God makes our faith stronger through the scriptures because it's his voice, it's his words. It doesn't just stop there, though. God makes our faith stronger through the Scriptures because the Scriptures shed light into our lives. God's voice sheds light into our lives. It determines truth from error. And by hearing the words of God through the Scriptures, this gal in my class, she was was able to find her true self, who she was. She was able to find out that, that this false self as she kind of called it, the imposter who sought meaning through guise and work and father's acceptance. And the more that she described this imposter life to our class, the, the visual that came to my mind as she described it was kind of a life of living in the shadows where the gray and dark shadows covered everything. And the more she began to hear and read the scriptures, light began to flood into her life. In fact, she said this, I'm beginning to see things as they really are. That's what she said. I'm beginning to see things as they really are. And, and, and maybe that statement means something to you. Because right now in your, in your life, perhaps, there's disorientation or, or things seem to be um, blurry, confusing. And, and perhaps by just opening this book and hearing from God's voice, that... that light would shed into your life and you begin to see things as they really are. It's one of the beauties of the Bible. And I think um, when people think about Christianity, um, this friend of mine who's not a Christian and, and what he thinks about Christianity, about reading the Bible, he actually would conclude it as an escape from reality. As if Christianity and the Bible is simply about believing in warm and cozy thoughts and holding our holy huddles to make everyone feel good. I didn't sign up for that. I don't think you did either. 
I don't believe that's the way of Jesus or the world of the scriptures. I believe that the way of Christ and the scriptures is not escape from reality, but rather a plunge into reality. It's a diving into reality to see and understand things as they really are. To have your eyes and my eyes opened to this world and what God is doing and what he's at work. And as we read the Psalms or the book of Genesis or Isaiah or Matthew or 1 Corinthians, God's words shine light into our current relationships. It sheds light into our decisions. It sheds light into our challenges. It opens our eyes. And we, we see the, this light. And we begin to understand that it's a story. It's a story of creation. It's a story of sin and alienation. It's a story of, of Israel's relationship with God, their, their covenant with God. It's a story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't just stop there. It's a story that you and I are to live out. The story of the scriptures is lived out by Jesus followers like you, where God's word shines light into our daily life. I love this passage in Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. If you're taking notes this morning, you may want to write that down. God's word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's a great passage where the Bible is talking about itself. It's a, it's a light. It's a lamp. C.S. Lewis once wrote that he read and he believed the scriptures of Jesus' life and resurrection in the Bible, as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The scriptures do that. It's by them we see everything else. And I think a, a number of us can relate to that statement. Uh, last year, my son and I uh, took a trip down to Florida to spend some time golfing and, and spend some time with a former colleague of mine that I was on staff um, at a previous church with. And he lives in an uh, area called The Villages. And to live in The Villages, you have to be 55 or older. And it's, it's a retirement community, about 60,000 people, and about 35,000 own golf carts. It's a very interesting subculture. Uh, and as we spent time golfing, and spending time with my friend, it was just uh, unbelievable. Alex was the youngest person there by about 30 years. Uh, but as we spent time there, and in fact, I remember this one time uh, that as, as Alex and I uh, came off this golf, golf course, in fact, it was an, Arnold, an Arnie Palmer golf course. And as we finished our round there, as I remember, I was talking to a, a guy who was about to tee off. And to get on a golf course down the village is very, very hard. It's just packed. All these people are golfing. Anyways, uh, we finished our round, and, we're ta and I'm talking to this guy. And he told me, he said, you know, uh, he had lived in Detroit. He worked for General Motors for 35 years. And he was just talking about the years he spent there, him and his wife, and they, they, they raised kids and spent all those years. And he said this to me. He said, I worked 35 years at GM so that I could have this. This is it. That's what he said. This is it. And there was something about that, that conversation. There was something about those words that, that for some reason just struck inside of me as absolutely tragic. This is it? And the village is a nice area, you know, sunshine and, and all these different things. But 
is, is that it? Is that it? And, and I've thought about that conversation uh, quite a bit since then. And I, the reason why I say it's tragic, and I have nothing against retirement, I have nothing against Florida, I have nothing against, you know, that sort of thing, but uh, this life is about preparation for the next. It's not meant to be an end. That, that our life is about, about growing in our faith, becoming stronger, so that we're prepared for the eternal life with God in heaven. And I think come to that conclusion uh, because um, wise or insightful. You've got to remember, I, I spent my childhood in Wisconsin, so I'm a, I'm a product of the Wisconsin public school system. It's a jab at my Wisconsin friends. Anyways, um, but I saw, I saw kind of the emptiness around that statement, and I, I saw how, how it fell short because of God's Word. What's God, what God's Word tells us about life. What God's Word tells us, that it sheds light into our lives. It sheds light into our relationships. It sheds light into conversations. And for us to be aware of that, Psalm 119, verse 24, says this, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Because there's a part of me that would, would could kind of resonate with it, what that guy was saying. But when I come back to the Bible and realize my life is for other people, my life is to serve, it's to worship God, it's to prepare for the future life, it's to honor God and glorify Him, is that God's Word, His voice, is a counselor in my life. And maybe you're here and you have a challenge or a concern. And maybe, maybe, before enlisting uh, the counsel of friends or family, and that's great too. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But perhaps you begin with God's word first. Your statutes are my delight. They're my counselors. Psalm 119 verse 41 says this, I have put hope in your word. I have put hope in your word. It's a beautiful statement. So God makes our faith stronger through the scriptures by shedding light into our lives because it's his voice. Also, God makes our faith stronger in the scripture because it enables us for good work. If you want to turn back into your Bible, uh, in fact, you may be uh, right there as we left off. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to look at that passage one more time because there's an, impo- there's an important point that Paul is making with this passage. Let me reread that that passage one more time. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed, and he's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Verse 17. So that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The voice of God, the light that God's word sheds into our lives, moves in the direction to prepare you for good works. In the Hebrew, it's mitzvot. It's to move you towards good works. It's not about having this this knowledge. It's not about knowing this verse or that verse, although scripture memory is a great thing, and I, I absolutely encourage it. 
it's not just about having the, the right beliefs in your head, although right beliefs are important. It's to move you towards good works. It's to move you and I towards love and forgiveness. It's to move you and I towards reaching out. It's it's to move you and I towards self-control. It's to move you and I towards joy. It's to move you and I towards gentleness and patience. It's to move you and I towards good works. That when we see our enemies, we see somebody that, that we have sort of fragmented relationship with at the grocery store, at a family gathering. The, the scriptures, the voice of God, the light that God's word sheds in our lives is to move us towards responding in a good way, in a right way towards that person. Recently, I uh, read the biography of Steve Jobs. And uh, there's a picture of it right there. Really kind of a freaky cover. Um, and if you worked on staff here, or if you're in my family, you would have heard me talking about this book every other day because I read it and I couldn't put it down. It was this fascinating story about Steve Jobs and his, his, kind of his background and growing up and, and how he came up with the concept of Apple and, and growing up in Silicon Valley, California, and just the evolution of technology from the, the first Apple computer to the iPhone and the iPad. An unbelievable story. But there's... there's not much about this book that will really propel me to do good works. Although in the narrative, it has great insight towards leadership and management, especially what not to do. Uh, But there's really very little in there that's going to propel me or move me towards good works. That's what makes the Bible different from a lot of the books on our shelves. A lot of books on our shelves we read, there's just great stories or biography or a novel, and, and there's some things, maybe some insights in there. I don't want to dismiss it entirely. But the beauty around the scriptures is that it, it moves us towards good works. It, it actually moves us towards love and good deeds. Is that when we dive into these stories, when we dive into Second Timothy, or when we dive into John chapter 4, or when we dive into Genesis 28, we, we dive into these stories, is that God's word is living and active. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and it moves in our lives, and it, and it does something inside. We're not quite sure how to put the words to it, but it does something inside of us that it can't just stop there. There's something about God's word, his voice, the light that is shed into our lives that just kind of goes through us and kind of comes out of our pores, so to speak. For me to have a stronger faith in 2012 has to happen through the scriptures. It's primary. There is no way in these upcoming 11 months in this, in this new year that I can manufacture my faith, become stronger by my own abilities or my own talents or by friends, just friends. But friends are important, but it has to be more than that. And I want to encourage you this morning to dive into the scriptures, to make that a primary step for you in this new year. And if you were to do that, if you were to cherish God's word, if you were kind of, as we think about the talit, if you were to have this 
around your life more. And that you were to open the pages and hear God's voice. And we're to read more, perhaps, and maybe diving into that soap insert, as, as Lynn talked about, these devotions of the New Testament in this new year. If you were to do that, just some questions. What might become of your marriage? What might become of your marriage? If you were to cherish and clutch on to God's word and believe that they're actually his words, it's his voice speaking to your life, what might become of your finances? What might become of your friendships? If you were to kind of blanket your life under God's word, what might become of your thoughts and your treatment of your enemies? If you were to submit your life to God's voice in the scriptures, what might become of dealing with your past, your present, and or your future? Let me pray. Father God, we're moved by this incredible book called the Bible. And God, we want to kind of be the people. We want to recapture this, the sense of being people of the book. We live in a world and in a culture that tends to make things more gray these days. And we desperately need light to shine into our lives. And I pray as a community that we would take time to open up the Bible and to read from it and allow your voice to shape and form our lives so that we would do good works not for Maple Grove Covenant Church, not for ourselves, but for you. For your name, your renown, your honor. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.